I can't wait to get back to normal. Wow, it was so good when things were normal. If we're not careful, we, we think in our minds, and I've even said that. And as I was thinking about things this week, I thought, you know, we have to be really careful because we can look back. We can be looking back and think that life was normal before this COVID-19 trial. That that was how it should be. Now certainly there are things about that that we miss and things about that that are good. We want to gather again in person for worship. We want to be able to be together and, you know, go to uh, football games or whatever you like without the fear of, of any sort of pandemic. But what is normal? Should we aim for normal? Let me give you a definition I found. Normal is the usual, the usual, the average, the typical state or condition. The usual, the average, the typical state or condition. Sounds exciting, right? We need to set our, heights, our sights higher than normal. And I'm not even sure there is a normal for the Christian before we're glorified. We should be progressing in the gospel, progressing in grace, growing to be more like Jesus every day that we live. Yeah, sure, it's okay to miss the good things about normal, but here's the one thing that I've been convicted about. As, as the news goes out, uh, with the pandemic, and this time it happens to be COVID-19, it could be something else. But what, what the government has called for is social distancing in order to stop the spread. For, for people to stay away from one another and keep their hands clean, which is a good thing. You know, wear masks when necessary, when you have to, uh, things like that. You know, but this this call for social distancing, this call for for stopping the spread. I mean, it's had me thinking for weeks about a sin in my own heart and in my own life, and I think a sin in Grace Church, and I think a sin in the church more broadly than Grace Church, in America especially. And so I called that gospel distancing. We've been really good at getting together and not socially distancing, but we've also been really good at gospel distancing and not being the light and the salt that we are and that followers of Christ should be characterized by. We're not good at getting the word out. And that's kind of what I wanted us to think about this morning. So as we look back and yearn for the restoration of gathering together and, and the freedoms to be in crowds and all of those sorts of things. Let's focus on being more faithful with that freedom when it happens and repenting of gospel distancing, repenting of keeping the gospel a secret, of not speaking to people about Jesus, of not being characterized by the boldness that has been purchased for us. By Christ. See, in many ways, we were sheltering in place with the gospel before all of this hit. And that's what we want to break out of so that we're excited 
about getting the gospel out, that we're passionate about getting the gospel out, that we are willing to step out of our comfort zones and speak to people about Jesus. I hope you're not thinking, here you go again. Because I know this, the, the, the common wisdom is that two subjects will empty the room. Well, it's already empty. But prayer and evangelism. But I'm not going to be afraid of those things. Because those are what Christ and what God calls us to. If you won't be called to account and called on to repent for those things, that's a spiritual problem. One that we should probably address and think about. But I'm also not looking to beat you up this morning. Um, I'm not looking to beat myself up. I, this is more of a plea. This is more of, of an urgency in my own heart, a, a fear in my own heart, a, a, something I need to address and repent of and something that I see that the church needs to address and repent of. I mean, we say every week to live as Christ and to die as gain, but do our lives prove it? So today I want to challenge us to not just yearn to go back to normal, but technical metaphors, let's reboot, let's recalibrate on the gospel. Let's learn from this trial and grow from this trial. Let's aim higher than normal. Let's repent of gospel distancing and be people who are faithful to Christ who love Christ in a way that honors Him for His grace and for His sacrifice on our behalf. The main thing I want to draw away, we're mainly going to look at really just two words in, in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 28. But uh, here's sort of the main takeaway, if you will, or the main point I'm aiming at this morning in our current situation. In response to the COVID-19 trial, Let's establish a new normal. And I would say a new growing normal because we won't be perfect until we're glorified. But an intentionally growing normal. In response to the COVID-19 trial, let's establish a new normal of accelerating the spread of grace or of the gospel, whatever you prefer, by intentionally obeying Jesus in going and in speaking about Him or speaking His gospel. In response to the COVID-19 trial, let us establish a new normal of accelerating the spread of grace by intentionally obeying Jesus in going and speaking the gospel. Short phrase, in repenting of gospel distancing. So look at the first point. Accelerate the spread of grace by going. Matthew 28, in 18, again, I'll read 18 uh, and 19 for you. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does he mean? He is king at the statement here. And therefore, he's commanding his church. He's giving us our marching orders to and through the apostles into the church, which is made up of his disciples. The disciple is nothing more than a Christian See that in Acts 11. But this, these are our marching orders, and I'm really going to focus on two words, and the first one is go. Look, at, look in verse 19. Based on the fact that Jesus has all authority, He says, therefore go. 
Therefore, there should really be the first word. It's a post-positive, but that's technical language. It, it, it really should say, therefore, go, instead of go, therefore. But, uh, but it, it's enhancing something here. And, and, and the command, the first element of making disciples and the first element of the command is go. Go. There, listen, there's no way to make disciples of all nations without going to them. There's no way to make a disciple of our neighbor without going to them, of our work co-worker without going to them. Listen, you can be in someone's physical presence and not go to them. Go with the intention of making disciples. Some say this is supposed to say, this just taking it as a participle as you were going that sort of would take sort of some of the intensity off of it. But you see that right here in this, I don't want to get technical, but even in your English translations, look, go is before make disciples, not after like baptizing and teaching. Go comes first. And so its position is important. And a lot of things about that participle are important. They coordinate with that main verb of make disciples. So it's not an as you are going, sort of an if it happens to be comfortable or convenient or if you just happen to be there or if, you know, just the door blows wide open with an obvious opportunity. There's more to it than that. This, this is a command to go and make disciples. Go. It's part of the... It takes on the flavor of the main verb, which is make disciples. This little participle represented in English by go, therefore becomes an imperative, and therefore is translated in the ESV and others like an imperative. Go, therefore, and make disciples. We'll talk about making disciples in a minute. But parents, let me ask you a question. If you look at one of your children and you say, go and clean your room, do you mean if you just happen to be in your room or you just happen to sort of slide by, can you just at least drop in there and clean it up? Now the kids take it that way sometimes. But no, you mean go now and clean your room. Go and clean. That kind of illustrates the, the flavor here. Jesus is telling us to go. He's commanding us to go. He's not just commanding the apostles to go, although they did, He did, and they did, and they went. Not just commanding the early church to go. Not just commanding the pastors to go. But commanding His entire church. These are the marching orders for the entire church, which if you're trusting in Jesus, includes you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If, if we've really gotten a hold to his gospel, we will obey him joyfully because we trust him and we love him and we see how much he loves us and we want to live the life that glorifies him. And intuitively, we know that that is for our good. So just like when you tell your children, go and clean your room, and that's a command from a parent who loves his child, children, and wants you to grow up responsible adults instead of having everything handed to you. Same, same way Jesus commands His church to go. So if we're to make disciples, the first thing, if we're to repent of gospel distancing, we have to go with intention. And that starts the very first thing in the morning. When we are thinking and praying, and I hope you are doing that the first thing in the morning, in some form. I know parenting, especially with small child's children, it is challenging. Maybe you have to get up 15 minutes earlier. 
to be setting your, recalibrating yourself to being a follower of Jesus that day in all that you do. But if we're going to make disciples, we must go to them and with gospel intention, out of love for Jesus and love for them, we must go to them and we must speak to them. Intentional about going so that we can speak. Look at the point two, and I know the first one was quick. This one won't be that quick, but it won't be terribly long either. Accelerate the spread of grace by speaking. It's, you know, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel every day and if necessary, use words. I'm telling you it's necessary. If you don't speak, you're not preaching the gospel. There's no way for people to think anything other than you're just trying to be a good person if you don't open your mouth. Look what he says. He says, go and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now that, obviously that's not one person's job to, you know, to make disciples of all nations. That's the entire church and it will be fulfilled. If you go read Matthew chapter 5, there'll be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne. The Great Commission will be fulfilled. Every soul given to Jesus by the Father that He died for and purchased will come to Him, but they will come through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel, and that will happen through His church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism is sort of the end of the evangelistic phase. And then He says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The great promise of His presence and power with us to accomplish His purpose. But he says, go and make disciples. And then the next sort of participle, baptizing them. So how does, how does making a disciple happen? Do we run around and grab people who don't know Jesus and find some water and dunk them in it right quick and make them a disciple? Or if you're of another persuasion, you run around sprinkling people? <clears throat> no. No, we are to make disciples. That is a command. Go and make disciples. Church, we have a, an obligation to make disciples. Church, all of the church. We all have a role to play, and every one of us have an obligation to speak. And there's other ways we can, we can be in participation with the Great Commission, but we all have an obligation to speak. And I wanted to bring that out this morning. So we make disciples by speaking what? I'm not going there, but Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, the Jew first and then the Gentile. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And those, these summaries are pregnant with, with meaning that we dig into. Who is Christ? You know, why did he have to die? All of those things. But Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins. He was buried. He really died. He rose the third day from the grave, proving it all true. And we are saved by trusting in him. That's a summary of what it means to make a disciple. We go out. We proclaim the gospel. It can happen through preaching in the church. It can happen over the internet. It can happen as we are sort of seasoning our conversation with salt and taking advantage of those opportunities to share gospel with those around us. We know it doesn't always happen the first time we share the gospel. You know, when I was first converted, I thought all I had to do was run out and share the gospel right quick with somebody. I quickly found out that wasn't a guarantee to the, you know, one shot in repentance. 
But the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is what the Spirit uses to bring dead people to life in Christ, to bring us from unbelief and rebellion to repentance and faith in Jesus. So we're to be going and speaking the gospel and knowing that then God takes that gospel and does His work in the heart. So really, we're instruments in His hands. See, that takes the pressure off. We're instruments in His hand accomplishing His purpose of making disciples. But we must speak the gospel to make a disciple. We must be willing to speak about Jesus to anyone and everyone that we come into contact with. Now that doesn't mean you can quickly share the gospel with everyone you come, but we don't we shouldn't be withholding it or procrastinating it or waiting. Oh, I'll have a better time to share with them. I'm telling you, I've had people in my life that I had a better time to share with that died before I could do that. That's not a good feeling. That's not one I want us to have. But we must share the gospel. Mark. 16.15 says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation or to every creature. And we do that because of God's work of grace in us. We are already changed by Him. He, he even told His disciples, Follow me and I will make you millionaires. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They were fishermen and catching fish and he just sort of used that to say you from now on you'll be catching men catching them how with the gospel the good news that Christ has died for us and been raised from the grave and gives salvation as a free gift to those who trust him look at Matthew 5 13 and 16 this was spoken by Jesus to his disciples we know that disciple is nothing more than another name for Christian uh, Acts 11 not going there this comes all the way down to us through them and, you know, there's way more here. I'm just reading it to you, but I want to point out two, two things about it or two things that you are. This is not what you're called to be. This is what Jesus says you are if you are a follower of His. He says you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how is its saltiness to be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, second statement, you are the light of the world. Now see, He is the light of the world and in Him we, fulfilling His great commission, are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all. See, Jesus' light is to be shining through us because we are in Him, the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others. What is your light? If you're a Christian, it's Him. It's His light. It's Jesus shining through you or reflecting. Think about you know, the Christ being the sun and the moon reflects that light. We are to be faithful reflectors of the gospel light that we have in Jesus. Verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. In heaven, the only way that they will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven is if they know why you're living the way you're living. Otherwise, they'll think you're just trying to be a good person. There's a story of a, of a young man who went to his boss. This young man had come to faith in Jesus and he knew his boss was, 
was, was a religious person, but that's about all he knew. And the boss was seeking to you know, live for Christ, but he wasn't speaking for Christ. And so when this young man went and reported to his boss that he had come to Christ, basically the boss was glad and told him that he was a Christian and he was glad. And he said, well, he said, you're the reason I waited so long. He said, you, you seemingly were able to live well, at least as far as I knew, without Jesus. Because you never talked about him. Now we know sovereignty comes into issue and all that. But if we're going to shine our light and if people are going to understand what that light is and glorify our Father who sent His Son to save us, we have to speak in order for that to happen. So you see, you are, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Not You don't work up to being this. You are that. You are the light of the world. Not work up to be this because you're in me. And Jesus is the light of the world. And we're to be light in and for Him. Remember our study in Acts. I won't go back and re-preach it. You can go look, look at it in the sermons from Acts chapter 8. But the church was scattered by persecution. Normal life was interrupted by a trial. And a very intense one because they're being arrested and killed and persecuted and they have to leave everything but notice their devotion as they left everything. They went with Jesus and they went with the gospel. And the gospel spread. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. So it wasn't them out preaching in Acts chapter 8. Right? As the church was, was, was scattered, is the word, by persecution, the gospel went forth and souls were saved and churches were born. Because... Of that great action. The more the devil tries to stomp out the fire of the gospel, the more the sparks fly out and the gospel spreads. But that happened through ordinary, everyday Christians who were scattered from their home by persecution. They were passionate about Jesus in the midst of great loss. And they're still number one purpose more important than finding a, a new house to live in and a new church to live in, to worship, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, no, there wasn't any. They had to be planted. Was them being light and salt for Christ. And it's like, the see, this is not a legalistic thing. It's like the apostles who, before the council, said, we can't help but speak of Jesus. We have to speak of Him. Because of the great love they had for Him and because of the trust they had Him and because of the knowledge of the fact that people around them were lost and His gospel was the answer and He has called them to be about witnessing that gospel, these people spread and with them spread the gospel. I remember when I was first converted, and maybe you have this same sort of testimony, we mature into a lukewarmness about the gospel. And that's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. But I remember when I was first converted, it frustrated me being out on the streets or in like Wendy's eating. I wanted to stand up and proclaim the gospel. I wanted to grab everybody walking by me on the street. And, and that is frustrating. And you know that's impossible. But it, 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 that passion was there. I didn't know much, but what I knew, you know, I, was, I didn't care what people thought. I was willing to share that. I want some of that back. Not in the zeal without knowledge way that I had then, 
But the passion for Jesus that makes me willing to just, even in an elevator, look at someone and, and share what I can share or hand them a track or, or whatever. That passion gets tamped down and other things become more important if we're not careful. But as the church was scattered, they had this passion, the early church, and you see it in Acts 8, and as they were scattered, the gospel was scattered. Historian Kenneth Scott Latterette says this. Now watch this. The chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it a profession or a major part of their occupation, but men and women who earned their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those whom they met in this natural fashion. You are a far more important missionary than I am. You, as you go out into the workplace and into your neighborhood and into to, to things, places that only you will go, you are light and salt. You can be part of the spread of the gospel before you think you know how to do it. We are always waiting until we're fully trained, until we feel like we're ready. You know when you'll feel like you're ready? When you're dead. It'll always be intimidating. It will always be scary. You'll always have something floating around in the back of your mind about what these people are going to think about you but that should not be the most important thing. It wasn't in the early church. It wasn't for the apostles. It certainly wasn't for Jesus who left the glories of heaven to be humiliated for us to save us. Listen, the convicting question for me this week, I'll give it to you because we need to ask ourselves this. Are you speaking about Jesus? Not your church. I'm not saying don't speak about your church. Invite people to church and I will speak about Jesus. But that's not your only involvement in the Great Commission. Are you speaking to other people about Jesus Christ and the gospel? The fact that He died for us and was buried and was raised from the grave and saves those who trust Him. Are you speaking about Jesus? If, if, if Grace Church was scattered under persecution, would, would this be our testimony that the gospel went with us and souls were converted? Thankfully, it's not all up to us and our ingenuity and to our sort of figuring it all out and having the strength to do it. Look at Acts 1.8. We've already seen this. You can go back to the website and look at the sermons from the beginning of our study in Acts. But Acts 1.8, before Jesus ascends... He's, making, he's teaching and training still and making promises to His church. And verse 8 is one of them. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be, not might be, you will be my witnesses. Now watch this. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Right where you are, out from that, having the Spirit, you will be witnesses. I will make you fishers of men and women and boys and girls. John Stott said this, we can no more restrict the command to witness than we can restrict the promise of the Spirit. Living waters flow from our heart. Just having the Holy Spirit. 
says that in John. See, we have to speak the gospel in order to make disciples. And we see the command to speak the gospel. We see who we are. We see historical examples of it. We see promises toward that end. I mean, 1 Peter 2.9, another scripture. You are a chosen race. Church. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. That purpose statement. Why am I this? So that I might do this. Watch this. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. How much are you bragging on God to others? And getting specific. It's easy to be generic about it. And talk about church. And about God. And various other things. But... Talking about Him calling us out of his, into His marvelous light through His Son, Jesus Christ. Why do we have a problem mentioning His name? Well, there's spiritual warfare and I know that. But the same power that raised Him from the dead is at work in you. Right? So we have all the power. We have the Word. The God, he's given us the message. We don't have to figure it out. It's the power of God for salvation. We have the same power that raised Him from the dead. We have been changed. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have everything necessary for life and godliness. And speaking about Jesus is necessary for life and godliness. That's who we are and that's what we're called to. If you are His chosen race, His royal priesthood, His holy nation, His people that He owns that are hidden in Him and secure and will have heaven, uh, new heavens, new earth, eternal life. You have it now, but it will flower greatly in the new heavens and new earth. Then our responsibility is to proclaim His excellencies and tell other people how they too can be called out of darkness into light. If we're going to yearn for a normal, let's yearn for a new kind of normal. That we would be a people who are walking so faithfully with Jesus that we grow through every trial and we spread the gospel through every trial. That we, because of His grace, listen, this is not legalism, do more, try harder. This is being changed by His grace. That we would then see the, the magnitude of our sin and how we deserve from God condemnation, but that Jesus came to provide a perfect righteous for us in His sinless life and to die to pay the penalty for our sins. He took hell for us, for you, and He was raised from the grave, proving it's all true. And He gives us salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation with God, hope for the now and the forever, eternal life as a free gift. That that glorious news would, would, would fuel a love in our hearts that would overflow in speaking for Him. Listen, that which we love and are excited about, we talk about. I, know, I see some of you wearing the colors of your favorite football team. I've done it. I still do it. I have a Georgia Bulldog shirt in the closet. Nothing wrong with that. I've seen way more pictures of your grandkids probably than I 
might have desired to see. But that's because you love them and you think they're marvelous. And they are. I mean, they are vipers and diapers who need Jesus, but right? Young people, when you fall in love with somebody, I mean, it, it, and we don't, well, anyway, another sermon. You, you, their pictures go up on your feed and you talk about them in a relationship. Well, I'm telling you, you're in a far bigger relationship with, than that, than your football team or your basketball team or your baseball team or your, your, your new love or your you know, love for years or your children or your grandchildren. There's a far more significant relationship that should overflow as well and even to a greater way. I'm not saying be an obnoxious Christian that people dodge when they see you coming. Love your neighbor. Serve your neighbor. But don't stop there. Speak to your neighbor about Jesus. If you don't know Jesus this morning, and listen, that, old, that silly thing about talking about prayer and evangelism empty in the room, you know, if, that, if, this, if you're refusing to be convicted about things like this, you may not know him, or you're at least backslidden. I mean, if I run you off by speaking the truth, I have to take that chance. And how often I speak the truth will be, how long will it take us to be faithful in, in, in witness for Christ here? How long will it take me? I need the reminder as much as you. But if you don't know Jesus, if you uh, doubt that you know Jesus, I mean, the answer is the same. It's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised the third day. Look to him. Trust in him. Turn from self and sin and your own kingdom and rebellion against God to submission to God and trusting in His Son. If you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life. Receive Him as your Savior, as your hope, as everything that He is, including Lord. And just like the tax collector who said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said He went home justified, by the way. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. But listen, if we have eternal life, that life will flow from us as much as into us. So let's repent of whatever is causing us to hold back on the gospel, to gospel distance from other people, to be unwilling to share the glorious, gracious, powerful, good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we love Him so much we can't help but speak of Him. Let's talk a little bit about then how, does, how is that love produced and how do, we, how do we whet our passion for Christ? How do we stimulate that passion? How do we restoke those fires? Well, it's not by going and reading the law. That will bring conviction. It's not by miring up in our failure. We need to know those things. We need to know what our sins are and be willing to confess them and repent of them. But what produces love for Jesus is the gospel itself. So what, what we need to do is daily be marinating in that gospel. Who we are apart from Christ. What He's done to save us. Who He is for us. And the riches that we have in Him.
Review the law, yes, and remember how short you fall, but don't stop there. Remember how much you deserve wrath. We need to have a sober assessment of that. But then remember the gospel, that Christ lived for you, that He died for you, and not just a physical death. He took the wrath of God on that cross for you, and He drank it dry, saying, it is finished. He was buried, but He went through the grave, conquering death for you, and was raised from the grave the third day, and is ascended into heaven, and is reigning for you, and is coming again someday to receive you. And when He comes you will be like Him. Free grace, free gospel, free riches, here and forever. Spiritual riches, which make other riches pale in comparison. Remember who you are and who Jesus is and who you are in Him and what He's done for you. And listen, that should stoke and fuel a passion for Him and a love for Him. If it doesn't, then something wrong. Maybe there's no spiritual life there. So marinate in the gospel. And secondly, pray. All revivals start with prayer. Personal revivals as well as corporate revivals start with prayer. May God be pleased to grant another sweeping revival. And may He start here or at another church. But may we get to be a part of that. Pray for repentance for your own heart for repentance from gospel distancing, for refreshing in the truth of His grace for you, for revival so that we will be what we are, which is light and salt in Christ. For Jesus, no matter what, being confident of and living like it's true, that to live is Christ is to die is gain. So marinate in the gospel and pray for repentance. Confess your sins of gospel distancing and, and every other sin that God makes you aware of. Confess them with confidence knowing that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and empower us for growth in grace. Pray for yourself that way. Run to the cross and find mercy and help in time of need. His throne is a throne of grace for us. But pray that for us as well, corporately. Be in prayer for individually, for yourself, for your family, and for your church. That we would experience this kind of revival so that we will be a people who are praying and going and speaking about Jesus. And listen, we're not meant to do this as lone rangers. So in, thirdly, involve your brothers and sisters. In the church, pray together about this, talk about this, cry about this, whatever, and call out to God for a refreshing and a renewal for us to be faithful to Him out of love for Him. And then participate. Participate in the spread of the gospel. Yes, with your church. Invite people to come to this church or whatever your church is. Go out with the church. Do it corporately. But see, it'll only happen corporately if we're passionate about it personally. I mean, it's a one-on-one -on -one thing with Jesus, right? 
in our love for Him and following Him, and will we speak for Him or will we be ashamed of Him? So participate. Renew, reboot, recharge. Go intentionally. Get up in the morning and go. Leave your house as first and foremost a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, a follower of Him. Ask Him to have His hand upon you and use you. And don't just wait for Him to make obvious wide open doors. Pursue opportunities. Be faithful to your employer. Do your work. You know, all of that. But in the context, pursue opportunities to speak about Jesus, especially when you're uncomfortable about it. If you wait till you feel ready and you wait till you're comfortable, well, we end up where we are. Not doing it. I remember the story of D.L. Moody, and I wouldn't embrace all of everything he believed or how he did things, but a man was getting on to him for his method of sharing the gospel. And he said, well, brother, I'm willing to learn. How do you do it? And the man that was getting on to him didn't do it. At which point D.L. Moody said, well, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Be intentional. Go and speak. Put it on your social media. Oh, that's going to be hard for you, isn't it? And you'll find all kinds of reasons not to do it. I did an experiment recently, and I wasn't trying to be mean. This was something I was asking myself if I was willing to do. And so I posted a gospel video, and it was short. It's like three minutes. Even millennials have time, three minutes, to watch a video. I'm sorry. I don't mean to pick on you. You're not the only one sinning. (laughs) But it was a three-minute gospel video. And my challenge on my personal feed as well as the church's feed was watch this and share it. Out of the hundreds of my friends, and I know a lot of my friends on my feed don't know Jesus, same with you. But on the church's feed, and hundreds of people follow that, total between the two of them, seven people did it. Seven people. And I'm sure you are filled with reasons why you didn't do that. But see, that's illustrative for us. That we're, we're gospel distancing. We want to put all... I mean, you will put what kind of cake you eat on Facebook. And you'll put your your anniversary pictures up there and pictures about your relationship like you're living in heaven and behind the scenes you're fighting like cats and dogs. There's fantasy life on Facebook sometimes. Not everybody, come on, but I'm just... But if we won't be identified with Jesus, we cannot be witnesses. Now, I know social media is not the primary test of that. But I was disappointed at how many people were willing to do that. How many people were willing to put what I thought was a good gospel video. It wasn't perfect. But I like their way of making a gospel video with it better than ours of not. And it was, a, it was good. It was worth sharing. But you'll only put it on your social media if it's really coming out of your heart and your mouth and your life. So if we participate individually, that will flower into corporately and then we will actually be faithful to get the gospel out around here. In order for that to happen, fifthly, we need to be intentional. Again, that's just the sermon. Go and speak. I mean, listen, think about this. If you're part of Grace Church, this is why we studied the law in the fall. 
Yes, we want to know what the law says. We want to know all the uses of the law. We want to see how far we fall short. But the main reason for us studying the law in the fall was so that we can use it as we speak to other people. And then in the spring, up until when we had to stop meeting, we were studying the gospel. Greg Gilbert's little book. What is the gospel? And we don't want to lose that momentum. Even before COVID-19, we were seeing this weakness in our own lives and in the church's life and seeking to address it. Don't, let's don't lose that momentum. So marinate in the gospel. Pray for repentance, personal and corporate. Involve your brothers and sisters in the discussion. Participate in getting the gospel out individually and corporately. And you have to be intentional to do that, to pray into it and purpose to do it. And listen, I'll end here. Embrace failure in trying. We're so scared of failing. But we'll take up golf and fail all over the place so we can try to learn to be better. Guys are fishing or sewing later, or whatever. We'll stick our fingers with needles and, to get better. Listen, embrace failure in trying, not in not trying. Failure is automatic. If we aim at nothing, we hit it every time. Be willing to fail to get better. Practice. And do that individually and with your church. And we want to be doing that. Listen, I remember... One illustration of this is, I remember this clearly. I remember learning to swim. I remember sinking to the bottom of the pool and my brother having to come get me and all that kind of stuff. He was a lifeguard at the pool. But I remember my mom teaching me to dive in the pool. And she had explained, you know, and as a kid, you're like, you know, you're sort of bending at the waist and she's explaining how to dive and, you know, Many explain, oh, come on, they're encouraging me. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. But you know what? I didn't actually learn to dive until I jumped in the water. You know, and the first time I dove, I probably dove with feet and hands like that. Or did a belly flop. Those are painful off the high dive, which we don't have anymore mostly due to law. Not Sam sitting here. Not to godly lawyers, but all the lawsuits. Diving boards have gone the way of a lot of other things. But I learned to dive. I learned to swim by actually getting in the water and thrashing about or actually diving in the water. What's my point? Stop waiting until you feel like an expert. Point your fingers, bend over, and jump in the pool, the gospel pool. Dive in. Go and speak. You might do a belly flop at first. Belly flop to the glory of God. He would much rather we belly flop than not jump. It glorifies Him. And see, in the process of that sort of attempting it, and listen, I, I, don't, even, I don't ever remember a time I shared the gospel that I went away patting myself on the back. I always went away, and ten minutes later you think things like, man, if I'd have just said this, or I wish I'd have said that, or boy, when he said that, I should have... There's always going to be that. But the cool thing about it is the gospel is a pretty simple message. And if you share the gospel, no matter what, what you've dressed it in, you've, you've been successful. So dive in. 
See, grace, great, let's call it this way. Great commission living should be our normal. Gospel gathering, or not, the opposite of gospel hiding. Gospel distancing. The opposite of that should be our normal, like the early church. Early church had its problems too. It wasn't perfect. Let's focus on this normal though. The normal of being those who live for Christ and who speak for Christ and who intentionally go with the gospel to tell people about Christ. We are called to follow, to love, to obey Him. He has sent us out. He already has. He's already said go. He has already said, make disciples of all nations, preach the gospel to every creature. Paul said his goal was to present everyone perfect in Christ. Now he knew a lot of great theology that that wasn't going to happen, but he, he spoke the gospel to everyone he could to try to reach them for Christ. He has sent us out with his good news, and the only question is, really the question is, do we love him? Will we go? Will we speak for Him? Will we live for Him? So, let's don't look back and pursue some sort of normal in the past. Yes, we hope for some of those things we enjoyed and being able to gather for worship is really probably, it's on the top of the list. For me anyway. But let's just don't go back to the way things were. Let's press into a new normal. Let's learn from the lessons that we've learned. God has an, a purpose for this COVID-19 trial. And this is one of them. That we might realize our habit of gospel distancing and run to His throne of grace and repentance and seek to be gospel close with those around us. So let's look forward in faith and yearn for and work for a future where we are more faithful to go and speak. Let's accelerate the title. Accelerate the spread of grace by joyfully, out of love for Jesus, sharing His gospel with a lost world. He has called us to Himself. He's been so merciful to us. And He is making us fishers of men. Let's live for Him. To live is Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is a painful topic. Help us to rest fully in Your grace. Not to think that You'll love us more if we keep a list of things to do, including be evangelistic. But may our hearts be revived and refreshed and refilled with a love for you that flows out of the gospel. May we be in conscious dependence upon the fact that the same power that raised you from the dead is in us. The Holy Spirit of God is empowering us. And we have the message that is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, which is your gospel. We are simply to be your ambassadors. Forgive us. We have failed to do so. In varying measure, Lord, I know some of my brothers and sisters are more 
active and alive to this than others, but in general as a church, and I know, you know in my own life that, that we are not the passionate witnesses. I am not the passionate daily one-on-one out in the community witness that I need to be. And I know a lot of others can relate to that. So work repentance in us. A faith-filled repentance. A love for Christ-filled repentance. I pray that being on mission for you would not be a drudgery or a chore, but something that we can't wait to speak for you. Like the early church and the apostles, I pray that it would be true of us that we cannot, but we can't help but speak of our Savior who loves us so. So help us to be attacking this diligently individually. Help us to be attacking it corporately and speaking to one another about it and praying with one another about it and encouraging one another in it and even going with one another in various ways. Lord, may our lives prove that in you we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Work in us for your glory and for our good. Help us to take this seriously. Don't let us just walk away from this audio or video or whatever and forget about it. Help us to hold one another lovingly accountable. To look to Christ. To rest in Him. To be in awe of You, Lord Jesus. And growing in our love for You. Open our lips that we might speak of Your glory and of Your grace and of Your gospel. It is in Jesus' holy name that I plead and beg and pray. Amen.